welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea. My guest today is a woman who I'm grateful to call friend. I first read Tasha Hunter's memoir, What Children Remember, last fall, and I was blown away by not only what this woman had survived, but also by the hope her story offered. I knew then I wanted to share Tasha's story. So today I'm truly honored to share Tasha Hunter's story. Tasha is a survivor in the truest sense. Her story is filled with horrific chapters of child abuse, neglect, incest, abandonment, and an attempted suicide that should have destroyed her life. But through the very darkest chapters of her story, Tasha not only survived severe trauma, but she found healing that seemed impossible and now she helps others do the same. As a mental health advocate who now specializes in the treatment of PTSD, Tasha provides a unique perspective on the importance of building relationships with oneself, with others, and with God. Tasha's mission is to spread awareness about complex trauma and give survivors a safe space to heal. Her story validates the emotional pillars of faith and forgiveness in one's lifelong journey. Listen in as Tasha shares her story. Tasha, welcome back to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I love it. Thank you for having me. Well, I have been so looking forward to having you on this podcast. We had you on last month when we did the series for Black Women or Black History Month, but we focused on Black women. And my listeners knew just know just a little bit about you from that series. And today I'm just excited to dig in deeper and share your entire story with them. It's a really hard story, but it's such an important story for so many reasons, and we're going to talk about that. But before we do, can you just once again introduce yourself, and it doesn't have to be a quick intro, just tell about your who you are, your day-to-day, and all of that. Yeah, so I am Tasha Hunter. I'm originally from Arkansas. I now reside in North Carolina, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I am an author of the book, What Children Remember, and a podcaster. Uh, Now, recently, uh, my podcast is called When We Speak. And I think that um, my bio should include that I am my ancestors' greatest dreams. So, yeah. Mm, You are. You really are. And I think I read your book, maybe it was three months ago when I first got it and read it somewhere in that timeline because we met via Instagram you had been following me and I was you commented and then I went back and we kind of met each other that way talked about evolving faith and sense of become friends and I bought your book and read it then and I was just really blown away by your courage resilience just all those parts of your story and then in preparation for this interview I skimmed back over yesterday afternoon and this morning and I just all I kept thinking was she is a, she's a miracle. You are a miracle. You really are. I mean, I'm blown away now. I think it's because I know you more now and just like, oh my gosh, what you survived with God and your, what your innate resilience from your ancestors. I mean, it is a miracle, Tasha. So I'm, I'm grateful for you and that you survived what you did and you are here to tell about it. I got tears in my eyes just listening to you. Don't do not make me cry, Andrea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't promise you that. You might make me cry because your story is a hard one. And that's what we're gonna talk about. Your story is very hard. You share it in your book. And like yeah. I said earlier, 
it's still important. Like I know as humans, we hate reading about child abuse, especially child sexual abuse and beating. It's like so easy just to, to ignore it, but, but really we can't, if we're really going to be Jesus followers, loving, helping our neighbor, like we need to know these stories. We need to know that we're not alone in our own stories. So that's today. We're going to dive into your story, but talk about too the courage, the resilience, the healing, all of those things. So Tasha, I'm going to let you start with your story, your childhood. If you want to start with your mother's childhood, because that is part of, and we don't have to, I, I do want to preface with your book, which children remember goes into a lot of details and I still want people to read your book. So mm-hmm. I don't want today to be like, you have to go chapter by chapter telling us every little detail. I think let's get a good overview of the process and your story. Okay. So start where you want to. Yeah, I'm going to do this in bullet points on prior military. So I'm going to give you the short of the long. And okay. uh, the first six years of my life, I grew up with uh, a family that uh, in the book, I call her mama. She's was my grandmother and my grandfather and aunts and uncles. We all lived in one little house in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. She had custody of me for the first six years of my life. My mother and father were not really in my life at that time, as far as that's what I was told. Um, And at the age of six, my mother went to court, got custody of me. And um, my grandmother, she discussed these instances with my family of origin. Well, I'm not going to say my family of origin, my mother, in which there was what she perceived to be some, some mental instability. I don't know that for a fact. I have no idea. But what I do know is by between six and eight, my world changed. The family that I, I grew up with and loved and just where I felt safe and loved in that home, I went from not feeling safe and loved. And by the age of eight, I sustained physical abuse within two years, isolation from the family that I felt safe and protected from, a parental abandonment, and my mother had me at the age of 18 and so she didn't take care of me. So just being an infant, I had already experienced parental abandonment and all of the things that go with that and uh, not being nurtured and, and cared for and having that attachment, that early attachment that's so important. Uh, at eight years old, Andrea, I was sexually abused by my mother's son. I don't know a great deal about him, but there's a four-year age difference. He was 12, I was eight. And that shifted how I, again, that lack of safety and the knowledge that not only was I being physically abused, but I was sexually abused. And it, it was just very clear that my body did not belong to me. At 10 years old. Can I stop you for just a second? Because I want to go back. Just so you're saying by the age of eight, you were sexually abused, raped by your half brother, age Mm -hmm. of six, torn away from your grandpa. So by age eight, you had so much trauma in that little body of yours. I mean, Mm -hmm. you talk about in the book that your grandma, who called mama that raised you the first six six years was the only authentic, strong maternal figure that you knew and that your greatest fear was that you were going to get taken from her. So at age six, that happens to you. Mm-hmm. huge traumatic event. You go to this mother that is horribly abusive to you, and then you are raped by age eight. So that little body of yours is just 
horrific trauma on it. And at that time, like, did you have a relationship with God? You mentioned praying. Like, that's when I started wrestling a little bit, because I think that chapter called God's plan, where you talk about your greatest childhood fear was being taken, and then you are taken. And like, how is your faith or your, like, tell me how your little mind was wrestling with that. So my introduction to God was my grandmother attended church every Sunday. She was, her little church was called Timothy Chapel Missionary Baptist. And it was right across the street. We'd go to Sunday school. We'd go to church. We would pray together. She would watch church TV um, every Sunday and listen to to church music, gospel music. And so early memory is, is of her holding me and praying and you know, and, and so I knew that 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 there was some spirit, some power greater than us somewhere in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And this is who I go to um, when I don't have the answers or when I'm in need or to just say thank you or help or whatever. And so when I was being taken and, and grandma was kind of preparing me for that moment and, and we prayed and and she would say to me, and I get emotional talking about it, but she would say, Tasha's, you know, God is going to use you. Mm. And at six years old, I have no concept of what that is. What do you right. mean God is going to use me? I need God right now to intervene. Right. And I remember thinking, but where is God now? Yeah. And so in the difficult moments from six to eight, <laughs> I just thought God is there. I don't know why God is not intervening. Why isn't God saving me? Why isn't God taking me out of this situation? But I knew that God was there somewhere. And all I had were her words. Literally, I never forgot them. God is going to use you. God has a purpose for your life. And those words that she planted (laughs) into me, I mean, I feel like she literally transplanted those words into me at six that's what sustained me for my entire life. Mm. Were there moments that I forgot that, that I doubted that? Oh yeah. How could you not? Right. Yeah. That's powerful. And just the impact of one person in your life and words, even at that young age, because you talk about the first night at Katrina's house, which is your biological mom that you call Katrina, you prayed for God to keep you safe. And he I guess in our human minds, I feel like he did not answer that. I guess right now you are a safe and full woman, but Mm -hmm. I I wrestle with that because child abuse, child sexual abuse is so horrific. And I've shared with you that I worked at a child abuse prevention agency. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that is the biggest questioning of God to me when children are hurt and not protected. I know that's a deeper conversation, but I guess I'm just bringing to light at that young age, you're already wrestling a little bit with faith, but you knew God was there. Yeah. So pick back up when I stopped you, you were talking about at age 10. So do you want to go there forward? Yeah. So by age 10, I want to kind of give listeners just a little bit of, of the pattern. And I, and I might refer back to the pattern later. Yeah. But by age 10, there's a pattern of mistrust. There's a pattern of isolation. There's a pattern of alienation. There's a pattern of violation. There's a pattern of invisibility. There's a pattern of, of abuse. Yeah. Various types of abuse and neglect. And all of that created what I call in, in my therapy world, it's it's called parts. And so there's a part, Andrea, that developed that said, Tasha, this life is too painful. You can't go on. Like, there's no way. <laughs> and I started praying to God 
literally walking from my house to the bus stop, which was at the very end of the street, maybe about a quarter mile, I would pray, I would look up to the sky and I would say, God, bring me to heaven. To my 10 year old self, God, bring me to heaven. And, and, I, and I started questioning God, am I being punished? Because in church, we would talk about the Old Testament and how sometimes there, there was this, from how I could remember it, there was this, like that you're paying for the sins of those before you, your ancestors. Yeah. And, and I didn't understand that, but but that maybe my life was cursed or something, or why was God, why did God bring me into the world and then not love me? Yeah. Like what had I done wrong? What had my family done wrong? And so I just started praying to God, God, please bring me to heaven. I can't take it. Yeah. And, and you really could, I mean, you're not meant at that age 10 to take what you took. And when we say like your mother was abusive, like severely abusive, beating yeah. you. I mean, we're not just saying cussing you out and slapping you on the face once a month. I mean, it was like severe beatings, yeah. just violating your, your body, your property, cussing you out, making you shoplift. It was horrific. You say that during the 11 years I lived with my mother, I feared her more than I feared God. Intuitively, I knew my life and being her daughter meant nothing to her. She never once kissed me or hugged me or affirmed our relationship. Beatings were the only time my mother touched me. Yes. Yeah, that's so, so much. And I think that's why I just when I said yeah. you're a miracle, I'm like, when I read that last night, I'm, oh my gosh, to be able to even function in this world today mm-hmm. with that as your formative years and to be a therapist to help others. And I'm sure like you just said, when you were going through this, God, take me, I can't do this because kids aren't meant yeah. to do this. All, all of that. And Andrea, I, I just, at four, so I'm, I'm turning 42 this year. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard the words, I love you mm-hmm. from my mother. I don't know who my father is. So that takes away half of, of my family, mama or you know, who I, you know, I grew up to believe was my grandmother. I found out at the age of 13 that my father, whose name is on my birth certificate, whose last name I shared, that he's actually not my father. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, because that was your one, like you felt like, okay, you held on to that because you did converse with him and share that because it's his grand, his mom that you thought was your, yeah. Yeah. So share that because that's a really hard part of your story too. So this man who left me at the age of four without a goodbye, without a hug and a kiss, I watched him walk out of mama's door to go create a life with his, his then partner and Uh, They had a child and I adored this man. He, for me, was this, um, like this beacon of, of light. He did not deserve that, (laughs) that role. He didn't deserve the way in which I saw him. He did nothing to earn that. But I just thought, here's this man. I have his last name. His family is my family. And I just created this this fantasized version of him, that that's my daddy. And my daddy, one day I'm going to live with him. One day we're going to have a relationship. My daddy's going to protect me. My daddy loves me. Right. And, and I created this whole narrative. And then at 13, there's a DNA test and uh, my mother, I hate using that word. That's all right. Your biological mom, Katrina. I mean, we'll call her Katrina. Yeah. Uh, She, she says just kind of nonchalantly that he's not my father 
And, and then she said, I don't know who your father is. It could be a man named Richard. Well, who the flip is Richard? So, Mm -hmm. so, so then again, that re-traumatization, just, this is another layer. And and then I, you know, my body doesn't belong to me. I have no autonomy over my life. I don't know where God is. I don't have my family that, that I felt safe and protected from at 13. Oh, now I also don't have a father. Yeah. So no one in the whole world who loves me? Who's there for me? Who's who's going to protect me? What do I have to look forward to? When as you now you're a licensed therapist, you look yeah. looking back through that lens as the 10-year-old, 13-year-old self. I mean, what do you think? Can you even believe that you survived that that you I can't, Andrea. I I have some writing. Um I have a few. I've thrown away most of it, but when I was a kid, I used to journal and I said in my journal, just on this one little sheet of paper, I don't think I'll live to see the age of 19. Mm, I don't yeah. think I can't even imagine living to be, for some reason I had 36, like by the time I'm 36, my life will be over. I cannot live. Yeah, and yeah. so that part of me that create, you know, that felt like I have to take you out of the pain, just kept saying, you're not going to live. You're not going to live. This, li- this life is too painful. And everything was painful. And, and growing up with a mother who literally even today has treated me my whole life as if she hates me as if I am her enemy. And I just thought, where is safety? And, and I can't, when I look back, I can't make sense of it. And, and I don't know if you want me to go into the things that happened at age 21 yet, or if I'm, you know, moving too fast, you let me know. One thing I want to touch on, uh, because I think it's so important, again, going back to my lens Mm -hmm. of working at a child sexual abuse prevention agency was telling because people could say, which is a huge thing, well, why didn't she tell? Or when people come forward, you know, in their 20s and t- disclose abuse. Mm-hmm. So I would love for you to touch on that because you did mm-hmm. try to tell once a neighbor. Yeah. So you could share that, but then share why you didn't tell beyond that and why. And that applies pretty generally to people that don't tell until they're older. So I come from a family, even my supposed father's family, where dysfunction was normalized. Abuse, incest, addiction, parental abandonment, fathers leaving, mothers leaving, all of that was normalized in everybody that was within my life. So then there's that. Then it's okay. When I did tell my family, whenever I got the chance that she was beating me or that these things were happening and and that and that I was scared and and I didn't want to go back home they would say she's still your mom you need to pray for her it'll be over soon one day you're going to be 18 and and you and you you won't have to deal with it you know I remember my great aunt giving me scriptures about honoring my mother and father and all of these things that were not helpful And no one really took it seriously, but I also want to say I didn't give explicit details. So, so then I didn't report the sexual abuse because my Katrina's son, he's, he's an honor roll student. He's an athlete. He's what people called handsome and smart and outgoing. And from my recollection, coaches and teachers loved him. People adored him. And I am a failing student <laughs> Yeah. and I'm withdrawn and I'm awkward and I'm super quiet. And 
I, I just, I've told this story so many times and I don't understand why I'm getting so emotional, but, but all these things and it's like, well, who's going to believe me? Right. Right. So I didn't feel safe to share. And because she had removed me again from family, it's like, who do I call? Who, who do I tell? Yeah. And, and then when I go to a neighbor and I share about the abuse, he comes right over to our house and he tells my mother that I, that I reported the, the physical abuse. I was so pissed get, off at him when I read that for the second yeah. time. Oh. Yeah. So, so then I get beat because of that and, yeah. and all of that. And so yeah. I didn't feel safe, Andrea, at all reporting anything. I had no reason because think about the pattern. There had already been a pattern of mistrust that I can't trust adults. I can't depend on adults. My body's not safe. No one around me is safe. Right. And so there was no one for me to go to. Yes. And I want people to hear that because even in safe homes, I mean, you know, this mm-hmm. homes where there's children feel somewhat safe with two parents and there's a sexual abuse or molestation. Children so often don't report because they think they won't be believed or they think they've done something wrong. So as an advocate for abuse, sexually abused children, you need to believe a child if they ever report abuse. Mm -hmm. And I was reminded of that with your story because Mm -hmm. had an adult, if you had felt you had a trusted adult and they would have believed you, your story would have been so much different because you did suffer more sexual abuse by your brother and his friends and that pattern continued. So that is something I want to hit home that believe if a child or somebody tells you that they've been sexually abused. So moving forward with that, because the sexual abuse part of your story is so hard and you talk about that you, you were a different person. There's before and after that, you felt like you were never, you were not a child again after that. And then like you just shared that your whole rest of those years that you just felt like, what is this purpose? Why I, I don't want to be here. What is my purpose for continuing? And then at 18, you do leave Katrina's house. Mm-hmm. So maybe take up with that and then go into some years away from her, but then you're so wounded. It's not like you get away from her and like life is good. Your, yeah. your story's really hard after that too. So my father, who in the book, I call him Maurice, I moved with him. And that was just so bizarre and disappointing and yeah. just so de- it was devastating. Yeah. I wasn't welcome. Yeah. I wasn't welcome there. And I was told explicitly, you're not a part of our family. Uh, not by him, but by his girlfriend. But he showed me in other ways that I was not a part of his family. Yeah. Uh, he moved me into a house uh, that he he owned and used as a rental or, or something. And I spent a great deal of time alone. That alone time led to me self harming, self-medicating with sex, meeting random partners and all of that. And then I I just thought, well, I had wanted to go in the military when I graduated high school. So let me contact a recruiter. I contacted open back then. We still had phone books. I opened the phone book, contacted an Air Force recruiter and quickly started the process to join the military. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 And, and that you thought you might find a family and this, this could be a whole podcast in itself, your experience in the military. Mm-hmm. How many years were you in the military? What? I spent 10 years in. Ten. Oh my goodness, Tasha. 
So if you want to share a little bit about that time, do you want to, did, did you sure. experience healing? Did you find, I know you were wanting family. I mean, share just a yeah. little bit about that chapter of your life. So 10 years in, and I went to the military because it was the safe alternative. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll just meet new people and they'll be my family, but that's not how the military works because I couldn't be honest. Yeah. Because being honest about my trauma and all the ways in which I was fearful and suspicious, paranoid, <laughs> uh, all the ways in which I struggled uh, to remember details, remember, you know, just simple things, day-to-day uh, -day stuff. I couldn't tell anybody this is what I, this is what's happening with me. Yeah. Because if you're honest in the military, that could mean you get kicked out. That means I lose my, how I take care of myself. I lose my paycheck. I lose, where do I go? Where do I call home? I don't have a home. Right. I don't have a right. family. Right. Where do I return to? So, right. so I have to protect myself and the way that you protect yourself in the military, you shut your freaking mouth. And so, yeah. and so you don't talk about all the things. And so it was just me and God with, with this secret of what I had experienced and I, I held a lot of anger for a good majority of the time, specifically the first probably five years in the military, I dealt with heavy, heavy, heavy suicidal thoughts. I have a heart of compassion for anybody that commits suicide because literally what they're saying is I just don't want to feel the pain yeah. anymore. And, and I understand that intimately because at the age of 21 in the Air Force, I have this experience where I'm... Again, reminded that I'm not loved. I'm married to someone. There's infidelity. I I start thinking over and over. I don't have a family. I, I have nobody. I don't have a mother. I don't have a father. I just, I don't have anybody that loves me. And that's what I believed at the time. And I'm praying to God, praying to God, please take me, please, 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 you know. And I just say to God, you know what? I've given you since the age of 10 to do anything. Yeah. yeah. So God, I'm calling your bluff. And I get a gun, Andrea, and I shoot myself. And I shot myself near my heart. I did mean to, to blow up my heart. And I don't know any easier way to say that. I'm, so, I'm sorry, you know, if, how that comes out for, for listeners. But, but I shoot myself. And there was this moment, I, I really wanted to, to talk about this because I've not delved into this, where I'm laying on the floor. My then husband called 911. And he had moved me to the front door so that responders could come right in and get me. And I'm sitting there and I've got this button down, cream colored shirt on and, and, and everything. And I'm laying there and just looking at the wound and I wasn't in any pain. I didn't feel anything. Wow. And the sun was shining. And I don't know if you know what the creek myrtle trees, I could see them in my view mm -hmm. and the little flowers and whatnot. And, and the sun was out. And, and in that moment, I heard, literally I'm a Christian. I always tell people I ain't that good of a Christian though. So I don't proclaim to hear the voice of God often. It's my but, favorite kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in that moment, I, I heard, I felt the voice of God. I felt God all around me say, your life is not over. I'm not done with you. I've got a purpose for your life. But if you continue trying to kill yourself, your life will be over. So kind of like, it's okay. You're going to be fine, but don't try this crap again. Yeah. Yeah. But don't and take this into your own hands. Don't take this into your own hands. Uh -huh. I, I got uh -huh. you. And I so, so shooting myself 
I'm, I'm seeing the evidence of, of that. I'm seeing the blood, all of it. I'm laying on the floor in zero pain. Oh, wow. And I just knew I'm going to survive. And I go to the ER and the doctor, as I'm, I'm on the, the gurney and, and the doctor said, um, I don't know why you're here. You're not supposed to be here. He said to me, you are not supposed to be here. And I'm thinking, I know I'm not. Because that had been the message since I was born. Wow. I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. My mother did not want me. My father, I don't know who he is, but the man that was my father, he didn't want me. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in, my, in you know, so, so yeah, I get it. And he said, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Andrea. No, no, no. I mean, it's, okay. that's so powerful because I'm thinking you're right. All yeah. humans in this world told you, you are not supposed to be here, but, yeah. but God, but God. Yeah. So, so then he said the bullet, and if anybody knows about guns, I've shot many, many a gun. The bullet went in and it was within an inch of my heart and some kind of weird way it went in. He said, the doctor said, listen, he said that bullet should have gone in and it was supposed to mushroom and it should have blasted all of your internal organs. None of that happened. My organs are still intact. I'm all good. The bullet goes in and it travels downward in my body. Wow. And so I have four different cuts that they made and they removed it near my side. And he said, I I just, I've never seen this before. I, I don't know how this happened. And obviously I'm a Christian, a Jesus follower. And I'm like, oh, I know how it happened. And what that did to me, it just kind of kind of planted a curiosity of, okay, I survived this. I didn't play around. I didn't like go take Benadryl or Tylenol or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, this was this was the real deal. I was literally saying to God, I am done. Mm-hmm. Let me show you how you broke my heart. I'm gonna shoot. Okay, you know. Yeah. And, and so I'm here and, and it just kind of, well, okay, well, why am I here? And you sharing about that one that should have destroyed you just like your childhood, you should have been destroyed by everything that happened. That's why yeah. I started off this show saying you were a miracle. You were yeah. a survivor 10 times over. I remember when I showed, was showing you a picture of one of my scars and you said, well, scars are, you know, evidence that you've lived. And that just struck me when you talked about the stars that you have down your side, mm-hmm. that those are the evidence that you, you have lived and that you are alive, Tasha, and that God had a purpose for you. And yeah. so from that point on, and again, we it's not like, oh, great. Now that was not quote the magic bullet that you're like, yay, life mm-hmm. is great now because you had mm-hmm. still so much healing, but mm-hmm. but you knew that that you were supposed to be here. Yeah, yeah. And for, for anybody listening, this isn't a, oh, everything's perfect yes. now. Because after that time, I still numbed out. I still disassociated. I still (laughs) dealt with feelings of isolation and loneliness and depression and anxiety and all the things. I still had nightmares. I dealt with nightmares my whole life. I still coped with all of my issues with uh, binging food, with sex, with drinking, with partying, um, and all the things, spending money. I still did all the things. Yeah. I just didn't try to kill myself again. I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, so, so it wasn't like everything was perfect after that, but I trusted that I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'll get through it. And it's, it's, as you as a therapist know, that's so typical to cope those ways. I mean, we all are, if we're not helping, coping in healthy ways, we're coping with something to try to comfort, comfort us. And not only did you have those, 
harmful coping mechanisms, you also, I mean, you, you want so bad to have relationships or people in your life, but you have major issues with trusting people, with having functional relationships. I mean, there's so, so much that your childhood story that trauma carried into your adult years. Let's go back to the faith just a little bit because you mm-hmm. do share you were trying, you were going to church at that time mm-hmm. on and off, but you also felt huge amounts of shame in church. Mm-hmm. So do mm-hmm. you want to share just a little bit of that? Because I think that is, yeah. a, that's a problem with our church that we feel like we can't be who we are and, and the shame that keeps us from going or sharing our stories. Yeah. I remember being, this is after the suicide attempt. And I'd go to church every Sunday, not just because it was a habit, because it was a habit. It was just like, this is what you do. You go to church every right. Sunday. Right. And that's just, even if I didn't get anything, I walked out the same way I came in sometimes, but it was, it was a habit that this is on right. Sundays, you go to church. And I remember being in church, I lived in Idaho, Mount Home, Idaho. That's where I was stationed. And the pastor's wife, she was up speaking and she said, some of you have problems in your life and have gone through the, the things that you've gone through in your life because you live a life of sin and struggle and pain is rooted in sin and you need to repent. And so while there may be some truth for some people out there in that statement, that was not true for me because then I thought, so did I experience child abuse and parental abandonment and all of that because I'm sinful and I'm having these problems where I want to die because I'm sinful. At the same time, I'm questioning my sexuality. And so I had thoughts of suicide, suicide attempt, coping with all the things in all the ways, just numbing out and trying to just get through, just take me out of the pain. That part that was just anything I could do, I will eat it away, sex it away, party it away, drink it away. I want an exit from the pain. And she's just saying, sin, sin, sin. So then I never felt good enough. I felt dirty and ugly and wrong. And I remember somebody else in church at some point when I was younger, actually, also planting that seed of even on your best day, you're nothing but a filthy rag. That's what the preacher told the congregation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, well, I'm never going to be good enough. Right. And that, but that didn't mix with the word of God in which God is saying that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Am I fearfully and wonderfully made or am I a filthy rag? So, so there was all these mixed messages. And when I went to church, I never heard anybody talk about trauma. I never heard anybody talk about abuse. I never heard anybody talk about depression and anxiety and loneliness and and how we cope with all the things and real deal, this is what I've experienced. And I desperately needed that. I needed somebody to say, Shug, you're good. (laughs) You are loved. You are accepted. All parts of you are accepted. You belong. That's right. You're, You're supposed to be here. And in my years of church, I never, not one time, heard those messages. They talked heavy about sin, heavy about tithes and offerings, <laughs> yeah, heavy about being a member, a partner, right. a whatever of the church. Right. And the biggest, if you're the biggest taboo, if you are LGBTQ community, you are going to hell. Like that's the horrible, most horrific sin, not an abortion. Can, can I speak on that too? Absolutely. Yes. So then that was the other shame. 
because not only did I sleep with men, I slept with a number of women and because that was my safe place. And now I have to be ashamed of that because they're not going to talk about anything else, but they will talk about abortion. They will talk about same sex union, same sex relationships. And I remember having a friend who said, I would never be friends with somebody that identified as lesbian or gay. I would never have that person in my home. I would never. And I'm thinking in my head, we went to the same church. She's talking about me. Mm. And if she knew she wouldn't, I wouldn't be accepted. So again, I'm living a life in which I'm not accepted and I don't belong. Yes. Yes. So I need to, I need to shut out and deny my past. And I also need to deny who I am right now because nobody will love me, let alone God. No one. Yep. And I think, I mean, as I shared earlier, you know, we, we connected because of the evolving faith tie in and talking about these things. And I think that's how my podcast has evolved too, in talking about these issues. And I, I want people to see, even with your story, the harm that the church can do. I mean, both of you, both you and I are Jesus followers, love Jesus, yeah. trying to be the best we can, love our neighbors the best we can. And yeah. I think part of that is realizing the harm that is done to people that may be gay or lesbian or have had an abortion or are, do, are doing drugs or drinking. Like the church has to be a safe place and you were not finding that. And I think things are changing a little bit, but not as a whole. And I think that's part of your message too, is we've got to be loving and accepting and a safe place to land for people that are struggling. And you did not find that. Did you ever find that? Or was that what evolving faith finding that was for you? Oh, evolving faith. I think my faith as a black woman and as a trauma survivor just evolved very organically. Yeah. Because I just started to not believe the things that that was being preached in the pool. I'm like, what are they talking about? Right, right. This this is not adding up. Right. When I read the word of God and then it, it, you know, I'm getting something different and, and I am very aware that the Bible is representative of the time in which it was written in. And so the people who translated this, they were not a part of the BIPOC community. They were not. They, right. They were men. They yes. were <laughs> slave owners yes. and what, yeah. you know, what, so right. anyways, so, so they don't speak for me. They don't speak for my life. And so then I sometimes tell people there's, I've got a handful of white women that I trust mm-hmm. somehow through my two in the morning insomnia, I get introduced to these women, Glennon Doyle, Rachel Held Evans, mm-hmm. Jen Hatmaker, Sarah Bessie. And I start following. I'm tearing up now because same with me, being introduced to those women (laughs) is what started shifting my faith when I was already questioning things. And when I was in my own little Mm -hmm. Bible Belt world. And then I start like, wait, what is, wait. So same. Okay, keep going. I interrupted. Sorry. And, And all I knew, they were heavy on the whole Black Lives Matter. They were heavy on no matter who you are, you're accepted you are loved, you are wanted. Mm. And I needed that because I'd never had that. And this is coming from white women who are Bible scholars and all all of this. They had some of them had gone to seminary, but they were preaching, they were preaching the word of God in such a loving way. And in a way I had never received it, heard it anywhere else. So anywhere where they were preaching, I'm listening, I'm watching YouTube, I'm following their social media, Mm. I'm, I'm attending the conferences, anything where I can hear them speak about love 
and belonging. I desperately needed that because when they talk about people on the margins, I was on the freaking margins. Yeah. Where do I belong? Yeah. You were tipping on the edge out here. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where do I belong? Right. And, and so over that time, I just, and I, I wrote about this in a short little IG post, uh, maybe a few months back that I just came to this awareness, Andrea, that God and I are on the same page. Mm. When God created me and you, nobody can tell me any different. When God created me, God knew, and I do see God as a black woman in, in my world, <laughs> that she was just like, oh, Tasha's going to be a hot freaking mess, but she's powerful. She's strong. She's beautiful. She's going to change lives. And whether she is with a man, a woman, whoever, or whether she's she's drinking or whether she's eating, she is loved and nothing is going to change that love. I am a woman who loves Jesus. Oh, I, I also curse a lot. That is all welcome. God understands. And it's bigger than my curse words, my foul language. That's right. Oh, God is, bigger. God is bigger than the worst thing I've ever done in my life. God is bigger. And so accepting of that. And once I received that love, I literally became love for other people. You're making me tear up, Tasha. You're preaching. <laughs> yes. Oh, Yes. And amen. So uh, just looking at you and who you are, and I know that is the hugest part of your healing. So tell me some of the other, for people that might be listening that have also like just in this place of maybe not feeling loved or questioning God, tell me the other things when you started that healing, because you're still and you're still healing. I mean, you don't come Mm -hmm. from your childhood and your life and not, I mean, I know you go to therapy, you mm-hmm. have a therapist every week, even though you are a therapist. Yes. Yes. Tell me though, like, when did you realize in your life, like, oh gosh, this, these mechanisms for my coping are not working. Was that realized when, when you realized God loved you that you needed to get help? Like, tell me kind of that process of becoming fully who you are today. It was, it's been a slow process and it's been literally up and down and in the quiet moments and in, and in the lonely moments, all oh, loneliness is like, I don't know, I have the word kryptonite because I heard it on CBS this morning, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, we'll say it. Loneliness is kryptonite, okay. Oh, (laughs) I can't stand being lonely. And it's in those moments where I just cry and and I just seek God and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? Yeah. I don't need to know the, the next 10 steps, just what is the next step? And for me, that looked like God introducing me to Joel Osteen, who I supported and loved at the time and that particular time in my okay. life. Thank you for saying that. Th- yes. Things have changed now. Yes. But, 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 but Mr. Joel, Pastor Joel Osteen would always talk about, you know, counting your blessings. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that looked like what's good in my life. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of trauma, but there's a whole lot of miracles. Yes. And can I bring my pain along to witness the miracles and to acknowledge the miracles? Yeah. Is that okay? You know, can can I own my story and include the fact that I have all of these good things and and that that I have gone further in my life than I ever thought I, I would. And so for me, that was looking at my blessings and 
for me, that was forgiving. We talk a lot about forgive the people that did you wrong, but can we forgive ourselves? And so forgiving myself for ways in which I harmed myself and understanding. So not putting myself down for things that I did wrong, for things that I didn't know at the time. I just was trying to, to numb out the pain, just trying to, right. to get through right. life. And I, because I had this whole life, Andrea, of I was really good at existing, but I had no idea of how to live. And could I seek God to teach me how to actually live? Can I stop you for a second for that mm-hmm. forgiveness? I did have in my notes and since you brought that up. So mm-hmm. you said you're working on forgiving yourself. I'm really mm-hmm. curious as being a woman of faith and the role of forgiveness mm-hmm. and maybe other people that have had similar stories, forgiving mm-hmm. your mother or forgiving mm-hmm. your abuser, like how... How do you wrestle with that? How have you come to terms with that? Is that a necessary thing? As a trauma therapist, as a survivor, that is not necessary. It's not necessary to, because I tried that and that was very harmful to me Uh to even go down that path of the church saying, you know, they preach, you go to the person that hurt you, you go to your brother, right? Because that's what the Bible, you go to your brother and you, you you try to talk it out and you forgive. But when you've been sexually abused, physically abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused, and all the things, I tell any listener and I tell my clients, you don't need to forgive anybody in order to get your own mm-hmm. healing. But it is important for you to look inward and forgive yourself. Okay. I, I was not expecting you to say that because that's never a message I have heard, but you, you know, this stuff. So that is, I mean, that's good and it's freeing in a sense, but again, it's yeah. never the message that we hear. We hear that you've got to forgive to move on, Yeah. but forgiving yourself. Yeah. And and there's different forgiving. I mean, forgiving somebody for showing up late or not showing up, you know, versus sexually abusing you or raping you are are two Mm -hmm. different ballgames. So Mm -hmm. I think what you just said will be freeing to some people listening and a truth maybe they haven't heard. Yeah, we were brought up in our families and in, in society, in our communities to always do for other people. Mm-hmm. to minimize our voice for other people, to make decisions based on other people and how they were perceived and see us. And we don't do a great deal of teaching in our families and in our churches and in our schools of what it means to love yourself, accept yourself, forgive yeah. yourself, care for yourself, because yeah. everything is so focused outward. And so I want listeners and anybody to know that that work is holy work as well. Mm-hmm. And so we have to reparent ourselves. We have to reteach ourselves. That that was why, Andrea, for us, evolving faith was so important because it's like, oh, now I'm relearning g- about God yeah. and yeah. about about God's love for me and, and seeing other people differently. And so that it's just such holy work when you really start to internalize the real love of God. And that includes forgiving yourself for what you didn't know at the time. Yeah. I'm reminded of, since we both love Glenn Doyle and her book and that, an interview that she did that I told you to listen to with um, Brene Brown, but she talks about that, like, what kind of world is this where we're raising daughters to be, you know, it's a good thing to be called selfless, or we think ourselves like that's the high, a great compliment to be selfless as women, mm-hmm. which I would always think like, yeah, that's like the ultimate thing. Like we need to be selfless, but really what comes along with that as women being told that message, nothing of this healing and forgiving mm-hmm. yourself. And so I think that's such an important point that you bring up that that is holy work, it is. not being selfless 
and pouring into yourself is holy and healing. Yeah. I often think about whether it's the story in the New Testament of the woman with the issue of blood and how she touched the, the hem of Jesus's garment and, and she just needed healing. And then I also think about the woman at the well who is so representative of me in so many ways. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think about in that moment, just how I receive it is, is that Jesus, you see me. I'm a nobody to everybody else. Everybody else has discounted me, has ignored me, has talked about me, has judged me. But Jesus, you see me. And and I don't have to have a big name. I don't have to have a title. I don't have to have money. I don't have to have any of that stuff that other people think is important. I can just come and be myself. That's right. With all my baggage, you see me, you're acknowledging me, you're healing me. And so this work of internal healing is important. It's important for you to know that Jesus sees you. You don't have to be any different. You don't have to be any better. You don't have to be smarter, prettier, more whatever. That's right. You're seen and you're loved and you're accepted. End of the sentence. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's like you said, this is up and down. This isn't like, you know, this, so you're good to go. I mean, this is an up and down. I just needed that reminder that you said that. I mean, I think that's a daily affirmation that that you need, especially as a woman, as a black woman, as a black woman that has survived what you have survived. I mean, that is a daily Mm -hmm. reminder to yourself that we all need. Yeah as we're talking about your healing journey, I mean, part of that is first telling your story mm-hmm. and then you write a book. So tell me a little bit how you got to that point. One, where you're like starting to share your story and then you decide to write a book. So for people who are listening that are still that are still healing or figuring out what to do, I mean, not everybody's called to write a book. I think there is power in sharing your story. It doesn't have to be with the world, but tell me a little bit how you got there. Yeah, so in my life, People had said, Tasha, the few people that knew, you should write a book. And then I thought, well, I should, because one day I'm not going to be here. One day God's going to take me wherever, wherever we go after this life is over. And I want my story told because I'm not the only one that's experienced parental abandonment. I'm not the only one that's been abused. I'm not the only person that's attempted suicide. We know the the suicide statistics, okay, every single day. And, and from my perspective as a black woman, I want my story told. And there's there's a quote in the intro of my book. I don't know who wrote it. I, it's just unknown, but it says the lion story will never be t- be known as long as the hunter is the one who tells it. Yes, I think that's an African proverb, maybe. I don't know. I've seen that. I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wanted my story told from my perspective because I had this image of women all over the world suffering in silence because that's what we do we just go on through life and we we suffer in silence and i said you know whoever gets this book they're supposed to get it and (laughs) but i wrote it for me i wrote it to free myself and so i wanted people to understand andrea that there were three main points and it's how trauma impacted the relationship I had with myself, Mm -hmm. how trauma impacted my platonic relationships, my romantic relationships, which is just relationships. And then the third one is how trauma impacted my relationship with God, my faith journey. And I think that I covered that beautifully. (laughs) You did. You did. Yeah. 
Was writing that harder than you thought? Easier? Was it, did it re-traumatize parts of you or was it a more healing? Talk about that process a little bit. You know, I've, I've always journaled. I've always kept a diary since, since I was a kid. And, and so I had all these journals where I had written all of my feelings out. And then I even, Glennon Doyle had this thing where she would let people share. She wants to hold space for you. So she said, write your story and send it to me. And so she read my story. I didn't know this. Yes. And wow. she, there's, there's a picture of the envelope of my story where she, and then I shared my story. I wrote my story. They were doing something about the, the, the power of storytelling. And I wrote my story for the church that I attended at the time. And they read it, certain parts of it out loud to the whole congregation. And so I had started this process of really owning my truth and wanting to get out of the shame. And so it was hard. So yeah, when you say was yeah. it hard, it was it was really difficult, but I took breaks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just thought, what would I want the world to know about my truth, my story about child abuse? What do I wish would have happened? All the things, I put all the things in there as if, if I never write another book again, what do I want said about my story? And you did all of that beautifully. Was it about a year ago that your book was released, Tasha? It will in April, it'll be a year that what children remember was released. okay. Yeah. And you did all of that beautifully. And like I said, when we started off, it is a hard read, but it's an, I think it's a necessary read, whether you are a trauma survivor or not. I think if you are a trauma survivor, you will find such comfort and not aloneness in reading your story. And if you aren't a trauma survivor, I just think having that knowledge and compassion and seeing the other people's journey, I just think helps us as Jesus followers love, love more and, and understand those steps of the journey. So tell me, I'm really curious because you don't show this in the book. You are a therapist now. You, mm-hmm. How did you make that leap? I mean, I know that's not uncommon for people that are therapists. Like yeah. I thought I might be a marriage therapist because I've had such marriage <laughs> issues in my yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I know that's not uncommon, but I'm just curious where you felt like, okay, I, I think this is what I'm called to do. All throughout my life, I had really poor boundaries. I didn't have boundaries. They weren't poor. They, they didn't exist. And I was the, the fixer, the helper, the rescuer for everybody in my life. When I think about relationships, I just could just cry. My life has been a revolving door of people coming in and out and in and out. And I was always everybody's person because I thought, well, maybe if I'm there for them, I can teach them how to love and be there for me. And I didn't know what it felt like for people to really hold space for me and be there for me. And I was going to therapy and my therapist, I told her this situation that happened where I was at work and a coworker, she was a friend. I thought she was a friend and she spent eight hours in my office, the entire workday in my office, crying over a relationship that she was in at the time. And I told my therapist how I wanted so badly to say, get out of my office so I can do my work. But I didn't. I let her sit there because I didn't know how to say, I didn't, I didn't have, I couldn't say no. I didn't say no to anybody. And my therapist said, girl, you do my job, but you do it for free. And she said, <laughs> she, she, she said, you need to think about that. And I did. Mm-hmm. And along with that, she said, I want you to write down everybody in your life. And I had a long list of people. I know a lot of people, I quote unquote, friends with a lot of people is what I yeah. thought. And and she said, what would happen if you tell them no? And I said, they'll leave me. They won't be my friend anymore. Because I gave money. I gave my time. I gave everything to these 
And I just did that because I was just, I wanted to teach them how to love me, be there for me. And, and I just didn't know how to, what that meant. And so she said, I want you to practice saying no from this point on. No, I can't go to lunch. No, you can't come over. No, you can't borrow money. No, you can't come sleep at my house because, you know, you're having these relationship issues. No, no. Some people did stop talking to me and that was hurtful because I had already had abandonment issues. And (laughs) thinking about what my therapist said, because people would say to me, Andrea, oh my God, you're like my therapist. I don't, I can tell you anything. And everybody would dump their issues on me mm-hmm. and never Except once was you needed to carry more people's issues. Good yeah. <laughs> and they would never, you know, in general conversation, when you talk about things yeah. and a friend would be like, well, how are you doing? Right. Right. That is not my life. Like they would dump on me. And then when, it, when I wanted to talk about my things, they'd be ready to get off the phone. Yeah. And so I took some positives from that in that I do listen and hold people's stuff very well. But can I do that in a more balanced way? And plus, I hated every job I've ever had. So can I, can I, what can I do with my innate gifts? These are gifts that God gave me. My grandmother said that when she was raising me, she said I was always an attentive child, that I was always, I wasn't around a lot of kids. I was always around adults and I was, I was very quiet. And she, she said, you would just sit in a room if you would watch everybody, Mm. you just listen and take it all in. I was not a child that misbehaved, that had tantrums, none of that stuff. I don't know about that life. But she said, I just sit with all the adults and I just listen to everybody. And don't you know that that's what I do is I'm, I now know how to hold space yeah. and show love and encourage and inspire other people and help them through their own trauma. And if it wasn't for my grandmother taking me around all the adults and loving me so well, so good, I wouldn't have these skills today. God yeah. gave me that. I love that because that is God, what God said that you and your grandmother said that you are going to make a difference. You are here for a reason. Yeah. And and one other thing, when I started school, you know, when I started to get healed because I was in therapy, I don't do anything if I can't also share it with other people. If I learn something, I'm like, immediately, I want to give it to somebody else. I want it so desperately to, if I get healed, can I also bring others along with me? Mm. Everything I do, I want to give it to other people. If I can be healed from trauma, I want to heal some other people. And so that's why I specialize in childhood trauma. Yeah. And and what you just said, if you can be healed from trauma, if if people, when they read your book Mm -hmm. and know more details of your story, if you can be healed, healing is possible for anyone. Yeah. And that's what I hope that your message gets across. And again, healing doesn't mean you're just perfect and life is easy because we're all going to struggle this side of heaven. Mm -hmm. But you are a resilient, healed woman and a miracle, like I said, and your story gives so much hope. And I think it's a good story too. Like in my mind, as I've shared with you, we fostered and just a couple girls and knowing their horrific childhood and you question like, gosh, are they ever, I mean, it just gives such hope to know that, yes, these things can be, can be overcome that, that with God, we can overcome these things that we can be strong and whole. And your story gives so much hope for that. And I want to share, I know we need to wrap up here, but so the next part of your, your healing journey is starting your podcast because you want other women to find hope and healing 
through other people's stories, kind of like me with my podcast, but you bring in that lens of a therapist too, to share these stories and to talk through them. So let's tell us a little bit about your podcast. And if folks haven't listened, just like what it's about and who some of the guests are and stories and all of that. Yeah. So my podcast, When We Speak It, came out on March 1st. So it's brand new. It's a baby. And I wanted, because my book was how I found my own voice, I wanted again, other people (laughs) to find their voice and to share their stories. So I'm talking about all the things. Yeah. I'm talking about various definitions of what it means to have faith and different people's faith journeys that don't exactly look like mine, but but they're important and they were healing for them. Yeah. I'm talking to people who are in the trans community and in the LGBTQ plus community. I'm talking to people who have experienced, um, who have survived cancer and who live with chronic pain. And uh, I'm talking to women who have struggled with, you know, any kind of body positivity or, or body image issues. And I'm talking to women who have dealt with sexual trauma or, or abuse of any kind. So any topic that is near and dear to my heart, I'm talking to these people. I'm just so, so, so proud of every guest. Right now I've got the podcast comes out a new episode every Monday. I'm just excited about it. And you should be. You're fabulous. Yeah. You're a natural. <laughs> I've listened to your first episode and I texted you and I was, this is so good. Like, I can't even believe it. You're, I mean, your first guest is dynamic. Yeah. But regardless, you, you're really amazing. And to have that as your first episode, I mean, I think that goes back to your listening and your therapy skills and all of that. You're a natural with it. And I'm excited to just listen to more stories. I mean, cause this is what this is about and the power and healing potential with sharing stories. And I know we both have just a passion, passion for that. And I'm excited for you. And I want my listeners to go listen to your podcast, follow you, all of that. Tell, tell them where they can find you. And then we're going to end with, mm-hmm. with a prayer from your book that you're going to read. But before that, just tell my listeners where they can find you. So I live on Instagram. So your listeners can find me at Tasha Hunter, LCSW. My website is TashaHunterAuthor.com, where you can find out even more about me. And I think that's pretty much it on that. And the podcast is available. It's called When We Speak with Tasha Hunter. And you can find it on Google, on iTunes, Spotify, and all those places where podcasts are. And my book can be found on Amazon, What Children Remember. It's also available anywhere where you get your eBooks, Barnes and Nobles, Walmart, you can order from there, but okay. any, any other messages or anything, other things on your heart? I mean, you've, you've shared so much and I know this has to, I don't know, it has to be exhausting to reshare and rehash your story. So I'm grateful that you did. I really am. No, I'm all in the fields. You mean so much to me and my heart is just full because I get this opportunity to share my story with you. Um, <laughs> I want to make you cry. I'm teary eyed too. I, I really am just so grateful for you. Because like I said earlier, you and I have become friends and knowing your story and just the dear woman that you are and checking in on each other. And you have meant a lot to me just knowing you these past few months. And I'm very grateful for you and that that you survived. I really am. Yeah, these are happy tears, though. They're not sad tears. I cried a lot of sad tears in my life. And these are happy tears because I do get to share my my story with listeners. And I know that somebody is going to identify with it. And they're going to be like, dang, she's telling my story. And that's why I live. That's why God 
brought me to this point. And I just want you to know, like anybody that's out there and you're, you're dealing with the isolation from family or the fact that you grew up in a dysfunctional home and, and maybe that's caused so many rifts in your relationships and in your body image and how you cope with things. And you're just not sure of how to even exist in the world. I want you to know that your story is meaningful. Your experience is meaningful, that you are profoundly loved for exactly who you are. You do not have to change or be different. You are already loved and that your life is not based on or or indicative in any way. The meaning of your life is not indicative of people who are not there or who walked out or who let you down. Your life is meaningful. You matter. You matter a great deal. And if nobody tells you that, I'm telling you that today and just please keep living. Don't try to, you know, go anywhere. Don't try to exit. Just keep living and you can heal from anything. You can find joy. You can find your purpose. Go after your purpose, whatever that means for you. And I could say so much more, but that's, that's it. Well, if people want to hear more, they got to listen to your podcast because you share, (laughs) you share lots more there and that's where they can find you. So would you mind Tasha? I think the the prayer that you open your book with, I just think is so powerful. And I would love if you would just end our conversation by reading that. Yeah. Heavenly father, thank you for making it possible for me to tell my story today. I pray it is representative of the message you have called me to share. Those times in my life when I felt like a failure, you called me a success. When I labeled myself as a victim, you taught me how to survive. Thank you for using my life to empower, heal, uplift, and educate others. I am grateful for each and every person you've sent into my life to help me on my journey. I pray you bless each person reading my story. Bless those of my sisters who feel lost, left out, forgotten, and unloved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tasha. Thank you. Thank you for listening in on our conversation. As always, the links mentioned in the episode are in the show notes at herstoryspeaks.com. There you'll also find where to listen to Tasha's podcast, When We Speak. I encourage you to go give it a listen as Tasha shares more stories of hope and survival. Finally, I've asked before, but I'm going to ask again. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, And if you started listening in on Tasha's podcast, can you go leave us both a review? Neither one of us make money on our podcast and reviews help the podcast to be more easily found and promoted on iTunes.